Hello, and welcome to Belonging Before Believing, where it's always a happy ending. I'm Patrick Mathers, making funny noises, and pastoring Sovereign Joy Christian Fellowship. I'm Brian Gumpy, elder of Sovereign Joy Christian Fellowship, and with us again is... Hi, I'm Ryan. They just picked me off the street. (laughs) Homeless Joe. (laughs) Hey, Joe, why are you so funky? (laughs) Uh, Same question. (laughs) You brought me here. You fed me burritos and beer. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, Yeah, right? I did, huh? You were skeptic. No, you were a little hesitant about coming, huh? What, did you, is it because you didn't want to be on our show? It was because it's 110 you, degrees here today. No, 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 no. I think there's more to this. I want to I wanna peel this onion back. Ryan, do you like our show? Yeah, I didn't think I had anything to add to it. <laughs> <laughs> there's always something to add to it. Have you heard us? <laughs> but you say I didn't want to be associated. <laughs> I think more often there are things to take away from it than add to it. Uh, happy ending. Um, look, I gotta be perfectly honest. I write like these down sometimes just so I remember, because I, I don't remember all kinds of things. I have eight thousand things going on, so oh, I, a lot of times so busy. I, a lot of times I just say words, <laughs> and whatever is. Co- <laughs> Somebody didn't know that. You should start listening to the podcast, Alexa. But um, <laughs> you have Alexa in your bedroom. What is she doing here? <laughs> <laughs> She's creeping me out. She's never done that before. <laughs> Why is she talking now? I don't know. You're not doing pulling your weight here, guest. She feels like she has to chime in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I have. We we have Alexa in here. We. If Alexa had three functions, we would be perfectly fine. <laughs> we use her to say, <laughs> to tell us what time it is, what temperature it's going to be today, and to play songs from Spotify. That's it. That's it. But and, and interrupt our podcast, apparently, is <laughs> yeah. one of her features. Yes. Thanks, Amazon. <laughs> Bezos. Dang it. I don't see. Okay. Now, I don't remember what we were talking about. See, this is a case in point. Okay. No, I do remember. Because I was talking about I can't remember what we were talking about. I have no idea why I said it's always a happy ending. (laughs) Like none. Like literally, ah! I have no idea. (laughs) You're not going to explain to the people why you just made that sound? Because I was waving my hands around like a madman, and I nearly pulled the microphone into my lap. (laughs) (laughs) I almost had crotchophone for the rest of the episode. That was not good. So I screamed. (laughs) I have no idea, but it's always a happy ending here, Right. Because we always end with, we believe you belong, and that's happy. Uh, Did I get that out okay? Yeah. So I'll segue now. So speaking of... (laughs) No, he's got the question. No, speaking of happy endings, Ryan has a question for us. (laughs) Well, in in listening to your podcast over the last few months, um, it's come to my attention that both of you you have lost... um, Infant children, and I, I'm just curious how that has affected your faith. It definitely has to be a trial, has to be something that's um, real heavy for you and, and your wives, and uh, just how, is that, how has that affected you? I'll go with Brian first, because I haven't heard Brian's story. So <clears throat> the short answer, how has it affected me? I mean, second to 
being married, because I always say that being married will sanctify you like few other things in your life. Uh, but it, it's affected me, like, like I said, second to marriage, like nothing else. Um, it is one of the biggest things where I think back to the way that it has just affirmed my faith, uh, just taught me a lot about dependence and taught me a lot about trusting the promises of God. But um, yeah, so just background. So Rachel <clears throat> was pregnant in 2010 with our boy, Charlie. Um, it was actually Labor Day weekend because I remember we were kind of like... <laughs> Kind of, sort of laughing later, like, "Oh, you went into labor on Labor Day." Uh, um, but anyway, we were playing I games. Just had a game barbecue at your house. It was a oh, my house. No, it was may, a, you're right. It was at my house. I think we may have barbecued at my house, and then we, we walked, walked across over, the street yeah. and we were playing board games at your house. And so, Rachel had said something earlier in the day about how she she thought she was like it was like felt a little crampy. Thought maybe she was just like kind of gassy or something because, like you said, we were barbecuing and stuff, so maybe the food just wasn't agreeing with her, whatever. And so we were going, th- you know, through the day and through the night, just playing games, whatever. And then it was like probably nine, ten o'clock at night, where uh, we'd gone back home, and she's like, "Yeah, like this isn't quite right." So we had already gone to the hospital like at least once or twice, um, and so we go just to be safe, and we're in there, and uh, it's crazy, because I remember <laughs> we're, so she had been, she was 26 weeks pregnant at this point, and I remember thinking to myself, like, ugh, like, I hear someone in the, the, like, on the other side of the curtain, and they're going into labor, and I'm thinking, like, oh, I just want this kid to be here already, and then the doctors, they, they come back, and you can see things get a little more tense and a little more serious, because they realize that Rachel's like going into labor and they give her these shots and all kinds of different things and pills and whatever. Is it really else. How far along? 26 she? weeks. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at this point they're like, okay, she's going into labor. We're doing everything we can to try to stop it. And then a couple hours of that. And they were like, okay, this baby is probably going to come at least within the next day or two. So they're giving Rachel these steroids that are going to help Charlie's lungs develop because if they want this kid to have a shot, he's got to, like, that's going to be the big thing is he needs to be able to breathe. And so it went really quick from, like I said, in two hours from let's prevent this labor to, okay, we've got to get ready for a very, very brand new baby. Um, so she ends up um, having Charlie at like four in the morning. And as soon as they possibly could, they load him up, they put him in a plane, and they fly him down to Sacramento. Rachel and I, we get, like, two hours of sleep or something like that. And then Rachel's, like, up and, like, running around the hospital. She's just like, okay, let's go. And we get in the car, and we drive down to the UCD Med Center in SAC, and we're there. It was crazy. I remember <laughs> Rachel, like, throwing our cat, like, into your backyard. Which is like, hey, watch this cat. Like, it was just like so frantic and everything was moving so fast. And and I remember before we even left town, before we even really um, got to spend much time with our son at all, I remember thinking as I'm like leaving town, how 
does anyone go through anything like this without a church? Because my family's in Woodland. Um, and so you guys, the Mathers, and um, a couple other families from church, they're like, just, we'll, we'll take care of everything. Don't worry. Like, we, we've got, like, we'll feed your pets. We'll, like, we'll get you clothes. We'll do whatever. Just go, 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 go. And I remember thinking, like, who else would do that if we didn't have a church family right now? So we're driving down there, and um, for 24 hours, Charlie was perfect. Very, very tiny. He was uh, two pounds, two ounces at 26 weeks old, or 26 weeks um, developed, I guess. Um, and he was perfect for 24 hours. Uh, about 24 hours in, we got a phone call. We were staying in the Ronald McDonald house, um, and we get the phone call from the hospital that we need to come down there, um, that they wanted to go over some of his whatever, some of uh, how he was doing. And they noticed that he had some bleeding in his brain. And so for the next two days, basically, it's okay. Um, we really need the bleeding in his brain to stop. We need to try a couple things. There's more tests, and it's like every, like, six hours. I just remember, like, I'm checking on, like, hemoglobin and all these weird things. Like, we want this count to be here and blah, blah, blah. And then after, you know, I don't know, maybe, like, 36, 40 hours of really keeping a close eye on that, um, it was the doctors telling us that things don't really look like they're getting better. Um, pressure is building up in his head. The bleeding in the brain is, is, it's getting my, and then I remember Rachel asking like, is it painful? And, um, once the doctor said, yeah, it's building up pressure. Like that's definitely a painful thing. That was like really hard thing for Rachel to deal with. Um, knowing that his chances of survival at that point were pretty low anyway. Um, and so, what ended up happening is when he was about three days old, um, it was the first time we got to hold him. Um, we took him out of incubator and, you know, uh, breathing, most of the breathing tubes come out. And for, gosh, I don't know, it was probably not more than an hour and a half, maybe two hours. Um, we got to hold him while he passed away. Hmm. Um, and it was crazy because I remember being on Twitter and Facebook, and there's hashtags, pray for Charlie Gumpy. I remember Al Moeller Moeller retweeted, pray for Charlie Gumpy. That Mm -hmm. was crazy. And so I know, like, thousands of people are seeing this, and there's blogs that are going on, and people are, like, everyone that I knew, and thousands more than that were rallying around, and they were praying for my child. And I had no doubt in my mind that if God wants to heal Charlie, he's going to heal Charlie. I've never been so convinced that he absolutely could heal my son, but he didn't, but he didn't. And that was really hard for, um, I mean, it was hard for sure, but that was something that I actually ended up having to explain to some family members is like, why would this happen? Why would this happen? Why would this happen? And I actually had this conversation with somebody yesterday, interestingly enough, um, because this is something that we had talked about in the past and it came up like, were you angry at God? And my answer was honestly, no, I wasn't angry. Uh, and dude, I was talking to basically told me like, that's insane. Like you're a total like freak and a weirdo. He didn't actually think I'm a freak and a weirdo, but like just couldn't conceive of the fact that you could not be angry at God for taking your son. And, um, And I I remember telling him 
that having been in church and having grown in my knowledge of um, the Lord and wanting to seek his will and being able to see his, his hand, his sovereignty in even terrible things in suffering that I had been through. I was, is what I said is I was theologically prepared, which I don't want to make it sound like I'm cooler than I am. But at the same time, I had something in my mind to where God can take terrible things and use them for good, both for me and for his own glory and so it was really easy for me to see so many cool things that were happening um, because of that um, and how when even just a simple thing like throwing something on Twitter or Facebook about like, oh, all I, we really said is, yes, our son passed away and God is still good. And for weeks, months, and even still, like people will walk up to me and they'll say that they remember that and that it stopped them in their tracks and that you know, if somebody who has to bury their son can say that God is still good, then they really need to consider some things and they need to think about that. And so how has it affected my faith? I mean, it taught me that hardship is a terrible thing to waste. Um, God puts us through these things, like I said, for his own glory, but also for our benefit, which can be a tough pill to swallow that day, um, (laughs) that week, that month, that year. Uh, especially when you don't see how it's growing you, how it's a benefit to those around you or things like that. But hardship's a terrible thing for us to waste, but God never, ever wastes hardship. I I genuinely believe that. And having believed that going in was really, really helpful because I had to fall back on what I already believed. And when I was able to see it actually play out the way that I had faith it would. Not that he saved my son, but that he would use a terrible circumstance for good. Then it was a lot easier to not be angry. Hmm. My, so um, listening to you talk, I actually, of all the times we've talked about this stuff, I... I I just noticed for the first time a major difference in the the way we handled especially the death part is I I didn't have any of that if the Lord could heal my son the Lord could heal my son he's perfectly I had from almost the very first minute that we knew an assurance that he was going to die. And I never prayed for healing. We had people come over and actually one of the worst experiences during that time had nothing to do with Jonathan, which is my son, um, but had to do with somebody coming over and doing some faith healing kind of prayer. And then later on we heard that he had said we didn't have enough faith and that's why he died. Um, so, you know, I mean, I've reconciled with that guy since then, not with that specific statement, but in other ways. Um, so that, that was hard, but for us, so the, uh, so we found out at our ultrasound that, uh, Jonathan was sick and we 
uh, went down and we had all kinds of testing, s- similar thing. But but he was, you know, um, if, if if this would have been 50, 60 years ago, Andy would have died in labor because, or maybe even further back than that, I guess, because uh, what it, he, Jonathan had holoprosencephaly, which just means that your brain really doesn't develop um, past your rudimentary functions. So he could breathe fine. All of his involuntary things were fine, everything like that. But the rest of his brain didn't develop. But what that meant is that his head filled with spinal fluid. And so he had an abnormally large head. And he wouldn't have been able to have been born. But Andy had a C-section. So we, we knew he was going to be sick. And we knew that it, we were going to have um, some things to deal with. Uh, so he had a C-section, which was crazy. I got to see the whole thing. And then so we got to take him home for 20 days. And for 20 days, I didn't work. I didn't do anything. We, I, I just laid, we just laid in bed with him. And we read him books. We sang songs. And um, it, it was a really, it, it, was, it, it was both joyful and sad all at the same time. Um, my kids were all still pretty young, so they remember bits and pieces um, but a, a lot of it is kind of, lo- you know, maybe a little bit of a blur, especially for, you know, like Abigail and Lily, they were really young and maybe even Faith too. But, um, so Jonathan died, he was 20 days old and when he died and for me, uh, going through that whole process, one of the things that you said is, you know, God doesn't waste a, a tragedy or, or pain. And, and I, I think that, during that time, I found I found what assurance actually is. And I was on the road. I was wrestling with the theology that I have now, Calvinism, Reformed theology, whatever you want to call it. And I wasn't settled then, and I wasn't settled for years down the road. It took me a long time to wrestle through it. But one of the things going through this really solidified for me was that God is sovereign in everything. This didn't happen by mistake. This didn't take God by surprise. I remember one of the pastors that I know tried to give me a, a word of help. So I guess God bless him for that. But it was the absolute worst thing that he could have said. He said, God didn't mean for this to happen. And that's just, it's just asinine. It's like, it, if God didn't mean for this to happen, then what else is going on in life that God doesn't mean for it to happen? Is he really just running around the universe fixing things he didn't mean to happen and patching it up and going, oh, oh, oh and he's like, that's just crazy. No. And, and on top of that, he's worthy to be praised. Right. <laughs> yeah. God is in control of everything. So where we look at this tiny little myopic view of, oh, no, my son is sick and dying. There's a grand, grand, grand plan that God is working out and using this event in areas that I am never going to know about. Still, people come up to talk. I mean, we're talking about it right now, you yeah. know, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it, it happened, you know, a, a long time ago, you know, 15 years ago. And um, so the Lord is still using 
this even today. So for me, it was a, the, the sovereignty of God. Yep. That solidified my faith and confidence in God and his sovereignty and that God is good and I can trust him and I can trust him with this. Therefore, I can trust him with anything. And he has a plan. He has a purpose. He does not. My son is not insignificant to God. And he's going to use the death of my son, the life, the short little life, the short, the death of my son for his glory and his praise. And I can praise him in it. It also gave me the assurance of my own salvation that I know if God is in control of this, then he can be in control of my salvation. And, and if he's the one who saved me, then what could I possibly do to wiggle out of his, you know, to lose that? And so those two things really, um, are bedrocks of my faith now that came really about through that. And they were already developing before that, but that experience really solidified it. Another thing I would say is that it, it gave me um, perspective in dealing with people who have um, stupid things to say. And, 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 I, and I mean this in the best possible way. I'm not trying to be snarky or quippy like we are sometimes but people say stupid things mm-hmm. i say stupid things because they have they feel like they have to say something they feel like they have to mm-hmm. say something with all of those people like the guy who said god didn't mean for this to happen the the weirdo who came in and did the faith healing pre you know prayer kind of thing i did not rebuke those guys at all i i never said a word about it one of the things that this taught me was show grace to people is that I, they are trying because of their affection for me and my family yeah. to do something and they're doing it awfully. They're doing it a sloppy way. They're doing it in a way that's probably doing more harm than good. But let's be honest. That's a lot of our lives hmm. is that we are really trying to do something good and we end up making a hash out of it or do we end up doing more harm than good. And anybody who's married at all t- totally understands that. And so one of the things this taught me was to show grace to these people because they don't know what I'm going through. And even if they had, like, like, let's be honest, Brian, you and me, we both have sons that died, but we went through different things. Oh, yeah. We went through different experiences. We felt different things. We thought different things. We had all kinds of different things going on around us and different interactions with people. So even though, you know, people from the outside looking in go, can look and see there's so much similarity Really, no. it, it's like... I don't it's, look at it, it that way. Right, it's, it's vastly different, and we're completely different people, even though we've had a similar experience. Well, and I've talked to people at length about this. I don't know, I don't remember how much you and I have talked about this, especially since, but, I mean, goodness, man, you were there for the whole thing. One of my favorite pictures that I have, it's on my phone, it's of you and a handful of people from church passed out asleep in a hospital waiting room and it's one of my favorite pictures that I look at and it just is so much comfort to me but I had somebody who had lost a child with me every step of the way so yeah mine was not the same as yours and so I had the benefit of having counsel and comfort from you somebody who had been through this already Um, so even just in that alone I, I feel like my experience you know could have been so much worse than it was so in your in your grieving both of you guys what um i mean what what are things that people can do that would that help certainly you said the people in the you know in the hospital waiting room having that support there 
And you've said sometimes people, Pat, you've said people opening their mouths sometimes isn't the greatest thing. Is it? Is it just a people's presence there, or is it what? What made a difference to you guys going through that from other people? Do you want to go first? Do you want me to? Go ahead. Um, I would say being present is the single most important thing. You don't have to say a lot. Um, so, in mean, fact, don't. So if, somebody calling you is kind of worthless. Or, or no, no, no. But no, it's, no. It's cool. But what I would do is if I were calling somebody now, I would say something like, hey, I, I don't want to take you away from what you're going through right now. I want you to be spending time with your family. I want you to know I'm praying for you. And is there something specific you can think of right now I can pray? And then I want to get off the phone. Mm-hmm. Quick, brief, because maybe I do have something and I'm like, oh, yeah, you can pray specifically for this and, you know, pray specifically for, you know, the doc, this one doctor, you know, it could be all 100,000 kind of things. But but that's good. But just be quick, brief and then and then just be present or just, you know, you made yourself known. They know you care. And now I know that if there is something, I know I can at least I have other people I can contact as well. So being present, being saying something, but be very quick, very brief, and then be pragmatic. Um, Don't ask, what can I, if there's anything I can do, let me know. I don't know. Nobody has ever like answered to that question with, oh, I've got the, like two uh, or three things for you. Right, it's right. never happened. Right. <laughs> just, just go and do their dishes. Uh-huh. You know, go, go and mow their lawn. Okay. Um, come over and say, I'm going to take your kids for five hours and we're going to go to the park or go to the pool or something. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to just show up with food, you know, um, it just do pragmatic things, the daily things that just need done that in those moments of grief and pain um, aren't going to get done. Yeah. So a couple things come to mind. One is super specific. Um, to, specific to your experience? To my, okay. to my situation. One, because I didn't have a lot of people who said stupid things to me. But the one thing that we... It's because you had me with you. Yep, yep. I, <laughs> I never say stupid he was, things. He was blocking for me. <laughs> no. But one thing that would really rub me the wrong way, and this is not a slam, obviously, I'm not trying to minimize anybody who's miscarried, but when people tried to say that it was like the same as some... As like mm. When they miscarried or something like that, to me, like it just felt so different. Right. Like... I, yeah. Like I saw that boy, like I held him in my hands. Like he was, the, he, like he was here. He was breathing. He was fighting for three days. And people tried to make their experience too much like mine. Right. Like even you and I, who both had sons who you know were living and breathing on this earth outside of their mother's womb for days. Honestly, it's, it's so different. It's so different. But yeah. it's but that's comparable. Whereas, you know, I'm in the funeral industry now, and I. I am very careful about when I bring up my son died Mm -hmm. because I in no way want to communicate. I know what you're going through. Right. So the times I do bring it up, I try to bring it up as a point of reference so that I can say, here's, I know how I can help you in this area that we're talking about right now. So if I see a whole lot of, you know, 
dazed and confused or just like out there. I, I, can, I can say, look, not only am I a funeral arranger here for this funeral home, but I also have had a son who died. So uh, I'm right here with you. Mm-hmm. And, and in com- just saying that one little thing, I've had a lot of people just relax. So I, I, at one hand, I'm saying that I've experienced grief too, but I'm also trying to say I am not equating my grief with yours. Right. You, you're grieving in a completely different way, but I'm here for you. Well, it's like I have a friend um, who, man, I just love so much, and his 28-year-old son passed away. Mm. And every once in a while, <clears throat> you know, on his son's birthday or the day that he died, you know, he'll just kind of grab me and, and he'll just, you know, start tearing up and talk about how much he still loves his son and things like that. And then he'll always wrap it up with, oh, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. And every time I'm just like, like it's not the same. Right. It, like, if, it's not it, right. the same. And I don't right. say that to say like, oh, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. But I, you're, you're right. I don't want for a second to be like, oh, yeah, you and me are exactly the same. Like, I know exactly what you're going through. I don't. Right. I, just I mean, don't. even if Mariah, who's my oldest, were to, you know, I love her, but if that were to, she were to pass away, yeah. I would be wrecked. And I have way more. I think the grieving would be harder, I think, because I have all these experiences, mm-hmm. too. But then again, I don't know because I haven't been there and I haven't gone through it. It's so just different. It's just different. Well, and that's the whole yeah. point. You just don't know. You know, know. another thing I, want, I would add, too, Ryan, is be sensitive to um, the, the rest of the family involved. So, uh, for example, um, it, I really need to... You were ta- joking around about blocking earlier, but I have to block for my wife. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, is is you can come up to me and talk about it. She does not want to talk about it. And, yeah. I, and I'm going to tell her, hey, we're recording this. She won't listen to this this episode. And um, and she shouldn't. She doesn't need it. And so I, I block her from that. And I know when people ask her about it, she says some nice, pleasant things. But she's got a script. She says she just doesn't go there with it. And yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. So So if you know, like my wife has struggled with depression especially around this event. So uh, our closest friends, no, don't talk about it. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've had people get salty because my wife wouldn't talk about Mm -hmm. it. And, you know, I want to punch them in the eye. Yeah. But, um, no kidding. But, you you know, it's, it's, you need to be sensitive to, you need to just be wise. I mean, come on, you know, that my wife doesn't owe you anything. Yeah. You know, shut up. (laughs) If you have a question, if you have something, come to me. Don't just be, you can hear that I'm kind of touchy about that, but um, yeah, yeah, be sen- be sensitive to the whole family involved. Don't think everybody is just because I'm open and willing to talk about it. That means my wife is and my kids are. And yeah, I I'm, our family is super similar. Yeah, um, more often than not, um, if I'm talking with somebody about Charlie, they're the most uncomfortable one in that conversation, not me. Yeah. Uh, on yeah, any right, day, right. any any no notice, like I can talk about it, no problem. Um, and I mean, to different degrees and in different ways. But my wife is similar; like she just she just doesn't want to talk about right. it. Right, and and our wives don't talk to each other about it. Right, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. is it's it's between them and the Lord, and they're they've they've worked through their own things, and I don't presume I even know what my wife has gone through. You know, I mean, I've been through it and you've been through it with Rachel more than anybody else has. But even like we say, our grief is different. Well, our grief with our wives is vastly different too. So 
it's very individual. So, yeah. um, yeah, being sensitive to it. The only other thing that comes to mind on how to let somebody grieve through this and everybody's different, but for me is getting to tell the story, not just, you know, the, the blow by blow, um, day one, day two, whatever. Um, but the good that came of it and, you know, why it shaped my, like an instance like this, where somebody asks, how has it shaped your faith? Like, that's like my bread and butter. That's like mm. what gives me uh, peace that my son passed away is like I said, like God puts it to use. And I know he's used that experience and my testimony about that experience to strengthen other people's faiths. So I've never listened to the eulogy that I preached at my son's funeral, but I can tell you that it's like top three favorite things I've ever preached and I felt like my feet weren't even touching the ground. I feel like I was like banging on the pulpit and like just like br- just trying to bring the heat. Yeah, it was good. Um, and just used my son as an opportunity to share the gospel and the power of conquering death, you know, um, and so just giving people and, you know, I was preaching it then and, you know, I'm on the phone with multiple people in different states and I'm talking to people about different things. And I would just get on a roll and talk about, you know, hard things and good things and cool things and weird things. And and just being able like my son lived for three days. Mm-hmm. But like it's really important to me that my son who couldn't even lift his head has a legacy. And so being able if they want to talk about it to just be able to listen and don't try to relate, don't try to qualify, just listen and affirm. And if it's cool, tell them it's cool. If it's hard, just be like, man, I'm like really sorry to hear that. But just to give them that time, because I know that when we have somebody pass away, all we want is for you to think that that life was significant. You know what? Do do you find that when you tell your story that people want to tell you their story and it isn't a, I'm trying to relate with you, but there's a fellowship and suffering that comes out. And so when I listen to somebody else and they listen to me, there's a camaraderie there that just isn't there in other relationships. Not that it's better or superior. It's just this one aspect of our relationship is different and it isn't, I know what you're going through. It's we've both gone through something hard and sometimes it's just helpful to hear what other people have gone through as well. So how has this shaped our faith? I kind of want to close by going through one of my favorite songs by one of my favorite groups. We talked about Beautiful Eulogy. Um, and songs like this, I know for a lot of people who've never gone through something like this, it's hypothetical. And before I went through this, saying something like this would be hypothetical. But going through these lyrics and knowing I've been through something like this and knowing how true these statements are, it's so affirming that that God is totally your highest prize and you are totally going to, he's going to be enough. But anyway, it says, um, the song's called If, and it says, if in one unfortunate moment you took everything that I own, everything you've given from heaven above and everything that I've ever known, if you stripped away my ministry, my influence, my reputation, my health, my happiness, my friends, my pride, and my expectation, 
If you cause for me to suffer or to suffer for the cause of the cross, if the cost of my allegiance is prison and all my freedoms are lost, if you take the breath from my lungs and make an end of my life, if you take the most precious part of me and take my kids and my wife, it would crush me, it would break me, it would suffocate and cause heartache. I would taste the bitter dark providence, but you would still preserve my faith. What's concealed in the heart of having is revealed in the losing of things, and I can't even begin to imagine the sting that kind of pain brings. I would never blame you for evil, even if you caused me pain. I came into this world with nothing, and when I die, it'll be the same. I will praise your name in the giving and taking away. If I have you, I could lose everything and still consider it gain. It's true. It's true. Amen. Question of the day. What's your story? Totally. Tell us what your story with grief is. You have one. Um, we want to listen. We want to read it. And we want to pray for you. So let us know what your story is. Absolutely. Um, so thanks for listening to this. Ryan, thanks for asking the question. Yeah, good one, dude. I, I love getting to share that story. Thanks for being on. Absolutely. It was fun. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All right. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We believe you belong.